Hello, and welcome to Next One's Coming Faster, a justified rewatch reaction pod. Ogis, hold still now, honey. You're tangled up like a beaver dam back here. <laughs> <laughs> there weren't that many <laughs> there weren't that many quotes to pull from this episode, so that's what we got. Zach, how are you? I'm quite well, Bobby. I'm I believe I'm flourishing and I am succeeding. And I'm happy to report that, and I'm happy to be living that way. Well, congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Today, we are covering Season 2, Episode 9, Brother's Keeper, written by Taylor Elmore, directed by Tony Goldwyn. Can I ask a question? Episode- no. Briefly, Sorry. Is Taylor Elmore, what, what, the name Elmore, Elmore Leonard, it's just, it's just a coincidence. It's a coincidence. Okay, coincidence. It's always, it's always weird. That's his last name. Compared <laughs> <laughs> to Elmore Leonard's first name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But it is, it is interesting. It's, it's uh, interesting. This episode first aired April 6, 2011. It has an IMDb user rating. Of 9.0 out of 10. So, I am curious. Wait, actually, let me tell you the IMDb episode synopsis here. As the coal mine makes one final attempt to negotiate with the Bennett clan, Loretta begins to piece together what the Bennetts did with her father. I am ready to hear. You know what? Let us go. We'll go Ogis first. I will share Cheyenne's rating. Should we do me or Zach as the last rating? Zach. Okay. So me, Ogis, or no, sorry, Ogis, then I'll say Cheyenne's, then I'll say mine, and we will save Zach's rating for the the final rating. Okay. Ogis, what'd you think of this? I think we have to go to 9.5. Woo! Well, we're going pretty much to the top. Maybe, maybe the only thing keeping me from giving it a 10 is some stupid personal policy that no episode can be perfect. Oh, okay. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not saying that's the case, but it might be the case. Interesting. This is a great episode. It had everything. It had it all. Okay. A 9.5 out of 10. I will now read, I will reveal the Cheyenne text. Loyal listeners may recall, last week Cheyenne texted me about the previous episode, said 8.5, loved it. It was so hard not watching the next episode. I really wanted to go to the party. LOL. Was the party, was the party, uh, the party in the show, or is that a, a separate discussion maybe you two were having? A social event that you'd planned? Maybe she was talking about my wedding. Okay. Okay. But no, she was talking about the party in the show. Okay. And I said, you'll get to go to the party. Don't worry. Today, she texted me, or this evening, I should say. And she said, the party totally delivered. Excellent episode. 8.5. Full point lower than Ogis here. But Cheyenne seemed to enjoy it. Do you have any notes or thoughts on when Cheyenne was watching it? Did she do anything that informs this rating at all 
in your mind? I noticed she was watching um, attentively. I, um, I I think I saw her nodding a couple times. She may have giggled once or twice. Um, it was clear that she was enjoying the episode. Okay. My rating, and I believe I revealed this to Ogis. Was this at the rehearsal dinner or at my wedding? When we watched it, right? Monday. No, I think I told you before then. Oh. I think I told you. I think I told you at the rehearsal dinner. Oh, this floor is yours. I rate this episode a 10 out of 10. I have gone to the top. I'm not coming down. All right, Zach. We are ready for your rating. I have. I'm aware that this is a heavy hitter episode, that there's been a lot of anticipation surrounding this episode. Bobby, as you very aptly pointed out in last week's show. The last episode was kind of a setup episode and that sort of bolsters not only the anticipation, but just the importance of this show and the events depicted herein. Um, Mm -hmm. That said, I'm going to give this episode a four. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, I'm going to give it a nine. I'm going nine. Oh, my goodness. Um, I was kind of waffling between. It has happened, lady and gentlemen. Lady? Just one lady. (laughs) It has happened, lady and gentlemen. It's actually less than one lady, probably. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, go on. Um, Yeah, I was kind of going back and forth between uh, 8.5 and 9. But I'm going. Your your guys' enthusiasm is already nudged me towards nine and as always discussing it during this episode i'm sure i might even go higher we don't know yet it's a good episode an 11 out of 10 can i say that there's one loyal listener who has informed me that he is not fond of the fluidity of our ratings (laughs) he 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 feels like it it does not engender trust in in the Particularly reviews, mine, I think. I mine better, are... You better have trust in mine. There's no fluidity here. Actually, I guess I've changed my rating maybe like one time. <sighs> Listen, li- yeah. can I... Can, can you I... text that loyal listener and say, fuck you? <laughs> <laughs> don't listen. I, I don't pretend to be an authority on matters of taste. I'm the... I'm the I'm, I do. Yeah, Bobby is... I oh, that all is, the time. I'm fluid, you know... I have a subjective response to these things. My mood, all kinds of things depend on how I see the episode. And I'm particularly susceptible to the enthusiasm of my co-hosts. And I, and I, and that's part of why we're doing this. We'll not apologize for it. That's fair. Does it matter that this person said, I dig it a lot in reference to the podcast in general, but I really am not a fan of the lucidity of some of these that's ratings. That's not the right word. You rate it and that's the rating. <laughs> What are we doing here? Lucidity, like <laughs> that means clarity. Yes, yes. Okay, not senility. Yeah, lucidity or fluidity. Is fluid fluidity? That was a weird autocorrect. And then proceeded to essentially go on a rant, saying, "I think the last three episodes in a row, Zach has said I give it a insert rating, but that could change after we talk." He's, he usually no. says that. No, it can't. Just rate. Lock it in. <laughs> 
Maybe if there's some revelation, change your mind, but don't rate it with the plan to change it. I want to believe in your ratings or rate it at the end of the discussion. I want to believe in your ratings. I'm glad he wants to. And that's the definitive rating. But don't flip-flop on me. I need to trust my reviewers. (laughs) I think, you know what? Are these serious text messages? I think my acknowledgement of my own inconsistency and subjectivity should make me even more trustworthy. Because I'm not trying to put on, I'm not trying to put on a facade of certainty when I maybe don't have it. Okay. Well, listen. All that aside, I want to read you part of a reply from the Justified subreddit pertaining particularly to both Zach and this episode. Oh my gosh! And I had I've cleared this with the person who posted it. And we we settled on, I'm going to refer to them as a stranger named Rob, which is not their Reddit username, but I I think that's a funny way to describe them. (laughs) So what they said was, I feel like I'm going to lose my shit if this Zach guy gives Brothers Keeper or something a 5.5 or whatever, though. (laughs) And that was in response to the Season 1 Awards episode. I think it was after we... Oh, wow. Okay. I think... so That's in parentheses, he said here, Hatless is one of the best episodes of the first season, and I will die on that hill, which is an episode that, Zach, you gave uh, a 4.5. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, this is what makes our pod. Rob good. is going to be very pleased to hear your rating. Of unless you leave I'm, in, unless you leave in when I said four initially, and he just immediately and I just edit out the rest. <laughs> <laughs> That being said, I give it a four. Incredible. So those are the ratings. So this episode from us, from us three and Cheyenne, has an average between the four of us of a 9.25. Clear number one for us. Now, I mentioned at the top, this episode was directed by Tony Goldwyn. He's directed one other episode back in season one. Do you want... You're not going to remember all the names of the episodes. So I guess no. I'll just tell you instead of saying, do you want to guess which episode Atlas. it was? Bulletville. No. It was Veterans, which was the episode we picked mm. in the season one award show as oh. our favorite or the best episode. Was that the season. one with the grenade, the grenadier in the bar? That was, yeah, with Lucky and the... Yeah. I, yeah. I believe so. Yeah. So, we did it. We got Zach up to a nine. We can end the pod. Yeah. Good. Mission accomplished. Couple quick things about the episode. So, new characters. I wrote down Hobart, which is just a drunk guy that Carol Johnson almost breaks his arm. He's not really a new character. Just was funny. I'm hilarious. Returning characters. Nothing crazy. You know, Carol's back. uh, Trooper Tom. The Bennett. Loretta. Nothing, nobody like popping back up from a while ago or anything like that. So the the weird thing about this episode, I watched this episode last Wednesday, I believe. And it was the next day that I saw the news about Brad William Henke having died. So I think he died like the day before I watched this episode, which was like a weird coincidence to just. Um, and it obviously sucks. He's fifty. He's only fifty six years old. 
I learned something cool about him in reading a bit about him after he passed that I did not know that he was formerly an NFL player. I had no idea. He was drafted by the New York Giants in 1989, played defensive line for the Denver Broncos, and appeared in Super Bowl 24, if I'm reading these Roman numerals correctly. XXIV, that's 24. Look at me. That's right. Um, he retired in 1994 due to injuries, moved to Los Angeles to be a coach. And then this is a, a funny line in this deadline article. An open call for, quote, big guys to do a commercial soon led to a new career. <laughs> and then, you know, wow. he got some extra roles and guest spots. And, you know, then he's, he's in a bunch of stuff. I first saw him in Lost before I saw him in this. And then I think one of his biggest roles was in, and I didn't see this, I watched a scene from it after hearing about him dying, but he was in Orange is the New Black as a as a guard for, I think, I don't know if it was just one season or a couple seasons, but yeah, so that I, that's a real bummer. I just wanted to make, make it a point to, to mention it here, especially because the couple other, the rest of this season before we get to this episode going to air obviously after you know our podcasts are going to come out after he died and i don't want people to think that we are ignoring it or unaware but yeah it sucks and it 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 does seem weird to find that out right when we're covering the episode where his character dies uh mm. so yeah, and it was it was especially weird learning about his death before watching the episode and not knowing that his character was going to die in the episode that was really strange and yes and it was you know, this is obviously a much lesser thing than, you know, this guy dying at 56 years old, tragically. But when Ogis sent a text in our group chat that said, Rip Coover, I was, I knew what he was talking about, but I was afraid that, like, you, Zach, would read that and think, like, oh, Coover dies in this episode? Yeah. So I made it a point, which he did, which he does, which is why it was so weird. But I made it a point to reply and be like, yeah, the actor, yeah, like, or whatever I said. I made it a point to, like, clarify what Ogis was talking about because I knew neither of you had watched this episode yet at that point. <laughs> uh, Such crazy timing. Yeah. You know, obviously, like, a somber reel uh, in memoriam in, in today's episode. And then, obviously, the other in memoriam is for the character he plays, Coover, which was also a, a pretty sad death. and. So, as most people know, I edit these episodes basically right before they come out, and I'm, you know, often a bit behind. So, I just was editing the first episode of season two the other day, and one thing Ogis said in there about Coover, we're talking about how, like, Coover's obviously dumb. Like, that's basically his, one of his defining character traits is that he's dumb, and he's, like, big and strong, and he's a stoner, right? And, you know, one thing Oja said is like, and he seems irredeemable. And I think this episode did a little, a little bit to be like, oh, like we kind of see there's a little, there's a little bit of like why he is this way, a little bit of explanation of like, mm. I mean, you know, we saw his mom break his hand a few episodes ago. And then this episode, she's obviously the way she's super dismissive and mean to him is clearly part of a larger pattern. And it's only exacerbated mm -hmm. by seems like Mags having Loretta around and a you know a girl to take care of. But 
I just, it was interesting that I just edited that episode and heard you say that because I think, and this is, I think this is something that happens a lot. I, the Walking Dead was a show that was really, did this all the time. It was like, we're going to make you care about this character. We're going to like give you like a soft spot for this character. And as soon as The Walking Dead started doing it, I was like, they're dead. This episode or the next one, they're yeah. gone. But it's kind of surprising because it's the ninth episode of the season. You know, it's not like a time where you expect, not that he's like a major, major character, but he's not just like a nothing character either. So it's to me, right. again, I wasn't surprising to me this time, as obviously I knew it was coming, but it's kind of a surprising spot for it to happen. It kind of, even though the last episode was a lot of setup, it wasn't necessarily, you're not watching that episode thinking it's set up for them to kill off a character, at least. I don't know. Like, so coming in, I just, were either of you expecting it? Was there a point in the episode where you're like, oh, Hoover's going to die? Or like, what, like, and maybe this is more of a conversation towards the end of the episode when we're like going through, but I'm curious at what point in the episode, or if there was a point where you were like, oh, shit, it's about to go down, essentially. I mean, it required, like, it was once the stakes were really raised, right? Like, he he ends up choking out Dickie, and I, I you know, I thought maybe... I, I, w- I did believe for a second that um, Loretta would be able to, you know, sort of pull a fast one on him and, and kill him, right? With the wet blunt, as he called it. Um, but once he's... Once it... it, it jump from that i was like okay it would seem like he's on a path because either he's gonna like kidnap her or kill her or whatever and there's gonna be you know some response to that or he's just gonna die in the midst of doing it but it was only at that point i didn't before that i didn't think that was gonna. although i don't think that i don't think that uh loretta's plan was to kill him i think it was just to like incapacitate him so she could Mm. confirm and get the watch kind of thing. Right, right, yeah. I don't know right. if then after that, but clearly, because then even before he wakes up, before she knows he wakes up, she calls Raylan. She doesn't, like, get yeah. a gun or something to shoot him. But, yeah, I mean, I, the last 12, 10, 10 to 15 minutes of that episode might be, like, the the best stretch of 10 minutes in this show, in a way, in terms of, like, the... Mm the just intensity the that that 10 minutes is what uncut gems feels like the whole time <laughs> that's like my go-to for like stressful movie or like stressful fiction but i really think that that part of this episode is is so well done from the moment basically she finds out the moment she recognizes the watch mm-hmm. and then we cut to like her going to the house and her calling Raylan and and again we'll talk more about this when we get to the end but Zach did you have a mm-hmm. like a a thought about that at all or like a, a realization or a, oh like someone might actually die here or what was your kind of no I mean I had no idea that Cooper was gonna die um obviously that pivotal moment where Loretta sees the watch or even where Cooper puts the watch on and Cheyenne was the one who identified that it was Loretta's dad's watch. I didn't even register that at first, but um, that kind of raised the stakes and this, this, this thing that's been hanging over the, the Bennett's relation to Loretta, the, the whole season so far, the knowledge of 
that they killed her dad, you know, that we knew that that was going to come to a head and that was going to cause drama. Um, but I had no idea that it would end in Coover's death. In fact, that very last scene at the mine shaft, I didn't know what was going to happen or that someone was going to die. And it was really not until he literally like his body kind of fell down into the darkness in a pretty, a pretty right. grim. It was a long time before you heard it hit. Yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't really until like I didn't even I wasn't even because of it was lit so darkly. I mean, it was nighttime. It was unclear to me that he had actually shot Coover. I thought maybe he just like shot because he was like trying to get his attention. He was like Coover, Coover. I thought maybe he just like shot by his head to like get him to stun him or something. So I didn't even realize that he shot him. And then when he fell down, obviously he was dead. Right. But, yeah. I also I will say I thought. The first time I saw this, I thought Dickie was dead. Yeah, so did I. Right. Me too. And I actually think that's sometimes that can feel like a cheap, like, oh, they make you think someone's dead and then they're not. But to do that and then actually kill someone like two scenes later, I think can be a good a good way to like, oh, okay, maybe the stakes aren't as high as it seems. Oh, just kidding. <laughs> like someone died. Um Yeah, I mean we we talk I've been critical about the low stakes feeling of this show in the past. I mean, I'm thinking particularly of, and Bobby will have to remind me the name of this episode, but the one where the, the football player, the ex football player is like going to get, he gets like, it's hatless. That's hatless. The one, the one I gave 4.5. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So that's incredible. So I, I think I disliked that show. So that episode so much because there was this sense that, you know, that that guy was going to get the shit beat out of him or get beaten to death. And he was like, fine, after this beating. And it just seemed like there wasn't any weight to any of the threats, the supposed threats. But this is so much on the on the other end of the spectrum. And I think it's part of the strength of this episode that like, not only is there a threat, but one of the major character is going to die in this show. and, And that's significant. Yeah. Well, uh, I think we are almost ready because we'll obviously we'll have more to say about some of those scenes when we when we get to it in the going to the synopsis the only other couple odds and ends things little imdb trivia this one i love because i said to ogis when we were watching the episode together the part where walton goggins comes out and starts clogging i said i feel like that's actually walton goggins dancing he seems like someone that would know how to do this but they're weirdly only showing his yeah. feet in a way that make me feel like it's not it's him. not him. Yeah. IMDb Trivia says, this is the first instance of Boyd Crowder clogging a traditional folk dance popular in the South. Walton Goggins, who was born in Alabama and grew up in Georgia, was a champion clogger That's in amazing. his youth and opened for blues legend B.B. King, whose publicist was Goggins' aunt, but he opened for him for his shows at the Fulton County Jail in Atlanta. What? Well, what? They, so- they they really missed an opportunity to exploit that by like giving him a, f- a full shot of of, of yeah. his body dancing. Maybe, so maybe it. I don't know. Maybe he lost his. Maybe he put down the clogs. Yeah, when he got older. I don't know. But anyway, I fucking knew that guy could clog. I could just tell. The other interesting tidbit, 
this is the episode that Margot Martindale won an Emmy for. Yeah. That she's makes a lot of sense for her awesome. performance in this episode. I'm really looking forward to talking about pretty much everything she does. So, speaking of things she does, she starts this episode off by doing Loretta's hair and getting her up, you know, getting her nice and pretty for the party. That's where that uh, line I had from the beginning, the hold still now, honey, tangled up like a beaver dam back here. That's where that line comes from. First scene. I think it might, maybe it's not the first line in the episode, but it's right up there. Yeah. So, Zach, I know this was an episode, or an episode, this was a scene that stuck out to you as something you had some thoughts on. Yeah, I mean, as we just mentioned, Marco Martindale is an amazing performer, and pretty much any time she's in this show, uh, she adds to the strength of whatever episode she's in. Um, And obviously, she's heavily featured in this episode, which is part of why it's so appealing um i i had just have in my notes some of the things she says in this first scene which i really love particularly how she delivers them um ain't no shame in a woman looking beautiful my time is payest but you i mean they're just the way she says payest um i think she's she also the way she says she like goes like after she says that yeah and she she's the kind of actor where I feel like she makes a lot of big choices in like the way she delivers something or the physical movement that accompanies a line. And I'm always just really curious to just see how she's going to perform. Um, she's just a very engaging performer in that way. Um, so this scene is also appealing to me because I love how Margot Martindale performs this situation of being pleasant, but kind of thinly veiling like something malevolent underneath all her pleasantry. Um, Obviously we know the dynamic between her and Loretta. While it seems to Loretta, like she's a doting maternal figure. We know that she's killed her dad. Um, And I, I just like the way that that kind of dark, undercurrent is lurking through the scene which really comes out when uh margo martindale says she coveted the the little pin that she puts in mm-hmm. loretta's hair she i coveted it it's like it kind of speaks to this greedy kind of dark side to margo martindale which i think is mm, yeah. a big part of her character and something that will come up later on in the episode the way she is materialistic of the way she is interested in money. Um, so yeah, I just, I thought it was a great scene and very entertaining. Yeah. I, and I think one of the other things that happens in this scene that is, I guess, indicative of how Mags is as a character. And also we were talking a little bit about this kind of gives us some sympathy for Coover. Coover like barges into the room and Mags calls him ignorant, filthy as a shoat, which is like a young pig. Mm. Says he something about him not having bathed in a week. And then tells him to get out of here before I chase you out of here with a belt. And all of that is before, if that's not bad enough. He Then he leaves and she says to Loretta, I used to tell people I dropped him on his head when he was a baby. Truth is, I got no excuse for him. You're like a dream come come true for this old girl. 
All of which Coover overhears on the other side of the door. I mean, as like vile and shitty as Coover has been, it's like, damn, you, you feel for him in this moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think everything he does after this is justified. Justified. Just kidding. But then we kind of see the party's getting started. Mags talks to Loretta about some of the different men in attendance. There's one guy she mentions says, gotta, gotta watch him. He'll grab your fanny. But he's a good man to acquaint yourself with, nonetheless. <laughs> Just like... And there's a lot throughout this episode of like Mags being like, "Oh, you're chasing those boys off with a stick." Oh, did you meet any guy, like meet any any boys? And it's like, why are you so invested in this 14 year old like dating someone? It's like her cotillion, uh, right? And maybe it's like a vi- living vicariously through her because yes. you know yeah. she did just talk about like you're beautiful and you, you have this power and like I'm not anymore. Her time is paced. Right. And obviously, Mags has a lot of power, but it's not in that sense or not through those means anymore. Although it sounds like that may have been part of her arsenal at some point. So then we see Boyd and Ava. Boyd and. So then we see Boyd and Ava arrive. Mags whistles to Doyle, kind of signaling for him to go handle it. Doyle goes up and greets Boyd and Ava in a pretty unsubtle unpleasant way says you lose your way crowder it can get tricky up in these hollers i figure you must have took a wrong turn and boyd asks to talk to mags doyle says you know you're not welcome here you're gonna you know you're gonna bounce out of here one way or another how's it gonna go essentially but boyd basically talks his way and says doyle your mama needs to hear what i gotta say you think i'd come up in this holler otherwise ava seems kind of nervous about this whole affair but you know there's I feel like it's an important thing there where she says, I'm with you. Mm. So we're, we're seeing obviously like a bond in over the, over the course of the season really, but developing between them. So then we see Coover snorting some Oxy off a shotgun shell. Uh, then he retrieves the watch he took off of Walt, which like, it, it's not crazy that you didn't recognize that Zach. Cause we really haven't seen that watch since episode two at the very beginning when they're, throwing his body in the mine. Mm-hmm. Although, if you ever watched the previously on, it was like heavily highlighted in the mm-hmm. previously on. I might have like, skipped This it. is yeah. going to come up in this episode. Yeah. yeah. So, obviously that'll be important later in the episode. My question for you guys, because I really, I've seen this episode a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. I'm still uncertain. Did he put that watch on with the intent of mm-hmm. Loretta seeing it? Because it seems a little that way, but I, I really am not sure. It seems like so. he did it like defiantly, like, all right, I'm putting on this watch. Yeah, but I, I remember I paid more attention to it the first time I saw I watched the episode. I didn't get that impression. Um, I mean, I could certainly be wrong. I think yeah, I think it was a, sort of that she was just looking, but I wouldn't put it past Coover to do that. To sort of just be like, look what I have. Well, it does. Right. It does feel like there's a connection between his his attitude towards her and, or his resentment towards her that we just mm. saw so clearly. And then putting the watch on. That's yeah. yeah. That's what I mean. It's like he storms out, snorts some oxy, and then puts the watch on. So it seems like there's some connection there. But and then later, 
he is saying all that stuff like I took the watch because da 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 da, which I'll we'll get into. But it does make sense because we're they're sort of posed against each other at multiple points in the episode, including after he's dead with Mags's re, 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 right. respective reactions. Right. Well, oh, I was wrong. I was wrong, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Consider myself a man of faith. <laughs> and it's a deep drive. <laughs> How many times can I mention that during this podcast that is in no way related to... Actually, it is related to baseball. Raylan Givens, That's star right. baseball player. Great swing. Anyway, he's got a great swing. Unless he's been drinking. Yeah. We see... Ray, speaking of Raylan, we see him and Carol arrive at the party. Raylan notes she seems a bit less confident now, which... The way he says it, I love. He says, what happened? Sugar high wear off? <laughs> and she says she's good to go. And he suggests she lay a chunk of firewood on Mags's still to show she's there with peaceful intent. It's a sign of respect. And she says, who says I am here with peaceful intent, right? Mm. So and then she kind of like walks off confidently. And I think Carol is a good character for someone that we only really spend a few episodes with. There there is that sense of like, she is this like strong independent woman in the same way. Like even Mags recognizes that when they meet earlier. Oh, by the way, I meant to mention this, that scene, the opening scene with Mags and Loretta, that may be the first official Bechdel test passing scene. They talk about her dad a little, but then they are not talking about her dad. They're not talking about a man. Yeah. Oh, I mean, they are talking about, like, looking good and don't getting dolled up, but I guess that's, you know, could be for anyone. Well. For themselves. Yeah. yeah anyway. That's a good point. As they're walking in, Carol asks Raylan why he isn't dancing, to which he responds he was never much for clogging. And he says he had a cousin next county over, called him Heinz. Yeah, like the steak sauce. Claimed he knew 57 dance steps that no one else had ever done before. Carol asked why he isn't there, and Rand says, eh, his wife shot him. (laughs) (laughs) Then we meet Hobart Curtis, who is drunk and creepy. He mentions, (laughs) I love when he says something like, I'll do whatever you want, staring into those big green eyes. She's like, my eyes are brown, Mr. Curtis. (laughs) And he kind of starts to make a bit of a scene. He tries to touch her face, at which point, she like grabs his arm, gets him in like a arm bar. I don't know, whatever. She's like about to break his arm. And some other guy like comes over to like respond and Raylan just elbows him in the face quick. Then Dickie shows up to calm things down. And he says something like, we're having a party. Am I right? Or am I damn right? (laughs) And everybody cheers. Yeah. They're like, hell yeah, you are right. Damn right. I, I'll i say this. I'll keep saying this. Jeremy Davies is great. Yes. I really love him. He, I never, Every one of Dickie's choices is hilarious. He, and he, you guys have pointed this out, but somehow I never noticed how like physical he, he is. Like he, he has this weird sort of slithering way of moving. Yeah. He, he's very thin and kind <laughs> of lithe. And he, he was wearing those little fingerless glo- black gloves yeah. this episode, yeah. which made his fingers seem like long and skinny and weird. Very kind of creepy, but also charming or not, maybe not charming, but just 
I don't know, fun to look it's at. Amusing. Yeah, right. amusing. It's, it yeah. certainly like draws our attention. And then he even like then he like grabs Hobart by the ear and like says he's gonna teach him about being polite and like walks him away by the ear. Like <laughs> Yeah. His entire wardrobe is insane. Like this is what he's wearing to be dressed up. I don't even know how to describe it. Right. You know? Well, it's like half Canadian tuxedo, half <laughs> finger gloves, fingerless gloves. I don't know. Uh, Raylan seems impressed by Carol's kind of handling of herself. He like gives her this look and she's like, what? And he's like, what? Like making fun of her. Like, yeah, obviously I'm, that was crazy. He just almost broke that dude's arm. Anyway, Carol goes up, talks to Boyd and Ava. She asks Boyd if he got the land from Arl and Helen, to which Boyd says, specifically, he says, we managed to come to an agreement. Yes. Yeah. He carefully chooses his words there, and then Ava, you know, then Carol is excited, says, also, I think importantly, she says, I knew I could count on you. You were wrong, Carol. Then after she walks away, Ava asks if Boyd knows what he's doing, to which he says, I'm making it up as I go, but I sure am happy you elected to come along. Then we see some guy, young-ish guy, who we'll learn in a second is about almost 21, talking to Loretta. He's trying to get her to to drink some alcohol, which she doesn't seem to want to do, and he's seems to be a little coercive. Doesn't matter. Raylan walks up, says, aren't you Bill Carroll's kid? And the kid says, that's right. What of it? And Raylan just like, almost like gently kicks him out of his chair. Like the way he does, like just like puts his like foot on his chest and just like kicks him backwards. And says that, you know, that basically puts you just south of your 21st birthday. And the kid's like, so what? And he's like, so think about if you want to be blown out the your birthday candles or whatever in the Harlan County Detention Center. And then, you know, he tells him, go on, get, or whatever. And the kid runs off, and Loretta says, how do you know you didn't just scare off my future husband? Then again, she brings up her, oh, and I think this is actually, I don't think I mentioned this because Zach was talking about the scene, but she obviously, she asks about her dad in the opening scene with Mags, asks if he ever asks about her, asks if she can talk to him next time he calls. Mags, mm. like, kind of deflects those things, but doesn't say no or anything. And then here she tells Raylan, you know, no disrespect, but I don't need you looking after me. I got daddy for that. Next, we see Carol approaching Mags, sitting with a few random people. Carol says they should talk. Mag says, Miss Johnson, this is a party. Let your hair down a bit. This scene, I think, and again, like all of the scenes, but Margot Martindale just kills this scene with all her little, like, not pleasant, her unpleasant pleasantries. Yes. So she says to her here, I'm sorry to hear that, sweetie. You take care now. After after uh, Carol says she's got a flight to catch. And then when Miss Johnson, when Miss Johnson, I'm not calling her Miss Johnson, when Carol actually goes to leave, because I love the way she says, Miss Johnson, wait. Like, it sounds so... I don't even like unenthused, like she, like or so disingenuous. And then she tells Carol, "Look around." Says, "Do you think you can really put a price on all this?" Before stating, "I ain't heard it yet," which mm. clearly implies to Carol, like, "But I'm willing to," you know. So then they, this clearly kicks off. Okay, they're gonna meet. Because then the next 
scene we see is Carol telling Raylan to wait outside. She's got to meet privately with Mags. Don't let anyone in, no matter what happens, none of her kin. Then she just kisses Raylan on the lips for luck, quote unquote. <laughs> he seems like perplexed in this moment. Also, it must have been bad luck because things did not go well for her yeah. after this. <laughs> so next scene is Carol meeting with Mags, surprised that Boyd is there. And she you know, starts to put two and two together as Boyd informs her that Arlo and Helen signed the land over to him. Says he hopes she'll understand this is just business. She asked if Boyd's decided what he's going to do with that with that land. And, mm. you know, they t- he tells her to have a seat or something. And then we cut away from the scene and see Dickie trying to come inside. Raylan saying, can't let you in. There's a meeting going on. You're not on the guest list. And Dickie's like, aren't I the heir apparent? Like, my mama would want me to be in there. All this stuff. Raylan, you know, Says, I'm not letting you in. I'd like to see, but I'd like to see you try to come in. And Dickie tries to go in very like, doesn't try all that hard. He just like kind of tries to walk in, and Raylan just pushes him kind of gently. <laughs> and he just, you know, he's got like the bad knee. He falls and falls on the ground. And then he kind of, again, that's, I think that's actually after that is where he says, like, my mom would want me to be in there. And Raylan says, if your mama wanted you in there, I think you'd be in there, don't you? And then Dickie kind of, you know, tail between his legs, walks off. Then we kind of cut back to the meeting, and this is kind of the the meat of the episode, or the meat of this plot line of the episode, right? So it's Mags, Carol, and Boyd. Carol writes down, oh, my God. In the outline, I wrote, Carol writes down, R-I-G-H-T-S. <laughs> Carol writes down. Oh, my gosh. We got to shut down the pod. Anyway, she writes down an amount Black Pike is willing to pay her, stating it's a one-time only non-negotiable deal. She, The thing that's really, it's really fun watching like the perceived power differential or perceived power dynamic shift for Carol in this, in this scene. Totally. She, se- she seems like, here it is, take it or leave it. Yeah, we're going to win either way, essentially. Mag says no, at which point Carol starts to leave, says like, okay. Uh, but Mag tells her she has a counteroffer and she says, don't you want to hear it? And Carol says, no, like, essentially, no, I don't want to hear it. And Mag says, sit your bony ass down and listen to my counteroffer while there's still pieces of your... Does she say bony ass twice? No. Did... no. I mistyped Pieces this. of the fiber uh, of your being? Or, or no, no. That... No. That's not... <laughs> No, Did you no, really no. I, think that's what she said for no, a second? No. Was that a real? I, I think it's just now sit your bony ass down and listen to my counter offer while there's still pieces of you big enough to find. Yeah, I think it's that's just what it that. is. I was but for I wrote, some for some insane reason I was confusing. <laughs> there's some famous line from a movie like if you want to if you still want to have a fiber of your being you'll do X Y and Z. What it, you'll sit that, your bony ass down. Does that sound familiar? Am I? I don't know why that popped into my head. No. Please, somebody help maybe me. You, maybe that's, you should write that movie. If you still want to have a fiber <laughs> of your being. Oh, it's from Seinfeld. Okay, sorry. I was watching oh, Seinfeld. Of course time. it is. Yeah. Of course it is. <laughs> Surprised Ogis didn't get it. Listen, everyone. Pretty, when we're not recording awful. the pod, all these guys talk about is Seinfeld. <laughs> yeah, the great, the great sitcom, 1990. 
1990s. Moving on. <laughs> Mag says she wants... Tr- I love the way she says, triple the amount scratched on this piece of parchment. Yeah, parchment. It's like a and fucking business And the way she says card. it, everything is great. But yeah, it's it's so funny that she refers to it that way. Then she goes on to say, we will also take a four... You know, she says, I'm not done. We'll also take a four... And, and still, Carol doesn't know yet that she's... You know, she's essentially on a sinking ship. Mm-hmm. And so she's kind of like scoffing at this. And she says, I'm not done. We will also take a 4% stake of the company, not Black Pike, lest they pack up, declare bankruptcy, and disappear with what's coming to me. No, I want a piece of the company that owns Black Pike, a legacy deal. And she, I love the way she like adjusts her scarf or whatever as she says this, like a legacy deal. And... You know, sufficient to provide for my kin in this community for generations to come. Short of that, we've got nothing to talk about. Carol obviously initially boxed the asking price, saying, like, Mags hasn't done her homework. The properties are worthless for coal. But then, boy, did Mags go on to explain it's not about the coal. Without Helen and Arlo Givens' property that Boyd had them sign over to him and Mags' properties, they won't have access to the mountaintop because Black Pike needs those properties to build their own road to get there. Otherwise, Black Pike's essentially just going to cut its losses, move on from this project. And Carol, I, I actually, I, Rebecca Kreskoff, I think, plays this scene really well. Like, the, the look on her face of, like, I'm super angry, but I can't really, like, lash out, and I just have to take it. And, mm. you know, and she essentially, then Mag says, like, in response to the look on her face, she says, oh, sugar, they didn't tell you that, did they? Sent you in blind to close the deal without ever cluing you in on the particulars. Funny way to run a business. But then, and then she, there's like that pause. She's like, you pick the devil you run with. And Carol just says she has to go make a call. And, and Max, oh, go on, sweetie. And goes, we'll be right here waiting. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then we cut to commercial. Then when we come back from commercial <laughs> or a two second black screen, if you're watching, at home, which I'm pretty sure all of you are. But maybe you're watching on Hulu with ads. I don't know. Anyway, next scene opens with Boyd pouring some celebratory drinks for himself and Mags before Carol comes back in, tells Mags she's got herself a deal. Carol says she's, you know, in all the years she's worked in this business for Black Pike and some other company before that, she's never seen a company lay down the way that they have here. She also points out Mags's hypocrisy mm-hmm. in regards to what Mags said in the meeting. Mag says, my people have been here for 200 years, Miss Johnson. We'll be here once your people have come in and taken what they want and left. Nothing changes up here. Not I'm kind of putting together two things. She says, nothing changes up here. Not really. I've seen the story played out time and time again before, as it will happen again in times yet to come. I'll take the cash up front, delivered tomorrow morning, first thing. Mags says, you want to shake on it? That You know, essentially up here, that's as binding as, as it comes. And Carol just obviously doesn't and says Black Pike's lawyers will work out the details and she leaves. Kind of storms out, sees Raylan outside. He's like, oh, what what happened? I thought I was going to have to come in there after you. And she says, take her away from there. She doesn't care where it is as long as she can get a drink. Then we cut back inside. Mags and Boy chat after Carol leaves. Tells She tells him he's done a good job. Or she, you done good, Boyd, or something like that. And she said, crap. And he said, I think he said something like, only did what was coming or did, you know, essentially did what I had to do. 
And she says, Crowder's always looking for an angle. And he's essentially like, is there anything else? Like, Hmm. not, is there anything? I think that this could be misinterpreted. Him as saying, is there anything else you want me to do? But he's essentially saying, like, is there anything else other than finding Hmm. your angle? She asked how Boyd got Arlo to come over and, you know, and give up the land. He says Arlo can be very practical when it comes to matters that suit him. Mags tells Boyd the county is his, whatever he wants to do. She's got her family out of all that now, except the weed business where she says, stay out of the weed business. That's Bennett territory, always has been, always will be. And then they shake on it. And I just, again, the like physical, the way that she's sitting and Boyd kind of like leans over and puts his hand out. I just, I love the way that he shakes her hand. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's like, I didn't, know, I didn't notice that at all. And I don't like it, but I'm, I'm glad you like it. You didn't notice it, but you don't like it. Is that what you said? Yeah. I mean, I just didn't have an opportunity to like it, but uh, if I paid more attention. Oh, I thought you were like, I didn't notice it and I hate it. Yeah. Then, I like her exercise, oh, her the display of her exercising her power because mm-hmm. she never moves. I mean, she's in her chair, yeah, but she's always the focus of the conversation. Uh, Carol is... I believe she's sitting in the beginning that she stands and then has to come back to her. And, you know, the change in their body language as, as well as their positions um, certainly caught my eye. Because, as you said, Carol thinks that she has something that she can write down on that piece of parchment, the offer that Black Pike is making, take it or leave it, that's that. Right. And then she gets totally buried. And she has to, you know, she's almost like... It's almost like, uh, not almost, Mags is toying with her. The way she sort of responds to the offer and then knows that she's going to have to, she's going to stand and go and come back. And then she's going to want to make a call and then come back. And she's just totally Mm -hmm. like obliterated in this negotiation. Right. And it once again feels like it it harkens back to the, the meeting that, the sort of town meeting that they have. She is, she is capable carol is clearly very capable but she is not on home turf you know she is in on mags's territory and it's like she there, no matter what she does no matter her savvy no matter her experience she's not equipped to really deal with it mm-hmm. that's Max why you fight her. for home field advantage in the playoffs that's right you got to get that by man then we see boyd go outside he's excited ava's basically like can we go and he's he's like let's dance and that's where we see what I believe is actually Walton Goggins clogging. We'll have to find out when we have him on the pod next week. What if I dropped a bomb like that on you two? Like, oh, by the way. <laughs> I I would probably like log off immediately. I'd be so scared. Wouldn't You'd know be scared to... right now. <laughs> no, no, I'd be. Well, I am scared right now, but I, you know, I'd be more scared. <laughs> Facing him in, in person. What if I opened my closet door and he was in there? And I had had him in there for the last three hours. <laughs> that would be a surreal development. There's and an opportunity to uh, invest in his distillery, his Mulholland Distilling, if you guys are interested. Is that the way we're going to... We should offer him, uh, you know, some space to plug his distillery yeah. on the podcast. Hey, I actually... You know what? We should reach out to Walton Kong and say, listen, okay. I- I'm not going to invest in your 
in your alcohol because I'm just a poor boy. I need no sympathy. I need some sympathy. Anyway, but hey, we will advertise for you for a small price of $10,000 per episode. Yeah. Hey, what's the worst that could happen? He, he uh, just laughs at us. I think the worst that could happen would be that like he listens to the pod and decides that we are his mortal enemies and he like sends a team of lawyers after us in some way. Oh. And then he has us killed. Oh, I don't think And we're like, why'd you go go through with all that lawyer stuff? You're just going to have us killed. (laughs) I don't plan ahead. (laughs) I'm not Boyd. Yeah. But yeah, you can invest. $234, I think, is the minimum. The maximum is like $1.25 million. Wow. We'll be somewhere in between if we were to invest. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. Well, I am. I wish him, I would like to formally wish him good luck in this business adventure. Business adventure. I'm going to send him a clip of you saying that when I say, hey, do you want to come on our podcast? Yeah, that'll probably convince him. If that doesn't, what will? Can Just tell him I always liked him. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Phoebe Bridgers is going to answer my DM? (laughs) I think at th- I think at this point it's very unlikely that she'll respond. I just you know she's probably reads all of them and she's just you know takes her so many, takes a long time just, yeah yeah she'll get there. Yeah, I don't this think is for hardcore listeners. Yeah, if you know what I'm talking about, you get a gold star. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Ava and Boyd dance. Raylan and Carol arrive at her hotel room with a six pack of beers. As they're walking in, I think this is a good little thing to just make sure that people noticed if if they're watching for the first time, or I guess essentially you guys. I know I pointed it out to O just when we were watching, but Raylan's leaving a voicemail for Winona as he walks in. He says, Winona, starting to feel like a bit of a stalker here. Call me back mm-hmm. when you can. So then yeah. Carol suggests, you know, they talk for a second. You know, he says, oh, what are you going to do next? She talks about going home and picking up Cat. Cat's name, blah blah blah. But she suggests they take that six pack. She's got an hour before the flight. Let's take the six pack, pull over on the way to the airport, and make out like we're in high school. I might even let you feel me up. Or alternatively, she suggests they skip the drive since they're already in a hotel room. And then the scene cuts after we see like a look of what seems like kind of consideration. On what Raven's exactly face. was she suggesting they do in the hotel room? You know that game where when you finish a can and you flick you flick the top of it back and forth till it breaks? Yes. Sex. <laughs> okay. That's what she was suggesting. Okay. But I'm glad you know that game. Yeah. Just as an, uh, an aside, it, it's, a, it's a good game. Yeah. Anyway. Carol really cut. puts herself out there with Raylan. She has my heart still several my heart still racing. You want to feel? Yeah. I mean, a lot of people put themselves out there with Raylan, and I get it. I don't think I it's realistic to how women behave in real life. Yeah. But I've never been Timothy Oliphant, and I've never observed people in the wild reacting to him. I've never, right. I've never experienced this. The I've never had a woman 
be attracted to me before in in uh, in real life. Where where have okay? If you're clarifying in real life, where have you had a woman attracted <laughs> to in, in the virtual world on Second Life? Oh yes, it's, <laughs> everything about him is the same except he can fly. Yes, perfect. And women are attracted to him. Perfect reference. What about Cheyenne? Well, is that Cheyenne still up for Cheyenne, discussion. We, we don't. Yeah, we don't know yet. She's she's been very kind to me. Let's just leave it at that. Let me tell you a story about Cheyenne. One time, we were at a frisbee tournament, and Zach like went back to pick up like a piece of garbage that had been left behind, and he like threw it out. And she said to me, "I love that man <laughs> because of my." It's worth noting she didn't say she was attracted to you, though. So. Yeah. Well, that, that still, speaks to how good, it speaks to how good my personality is because I can be loved even without someone being attracted to me. I can be loved in spite of my physical appearance. I've said that for years. Exactly. Wow. This is the real Beauty and the Beast, Hunchback of Notre <laughs> yeah. Dame stuff yeah. we're getting into. Let's anyway. Then we see, this is a, speaking of, we were talking about the physical performative nature of Jeremy Davies as Dickie, and this is, I think, a good example of it within this scene. Mags is out on the porch with Doyle, Dickie, and some other guy who's, like, playing guitar. As Loretta walks up, she asks Loretta if she had a good time. Again, asks about, like, did you have to beat the boys away with sticks, or did you find any suitors, or whatever she says. Uh, Loretta asks if there's anything else she can do to help. Mags tells her to go help Coover wrap things up. And Mags mentions, you know, I did something today. It's going to change everything, you know, for for me, for my, for you, for everyone. Be proud of your old Mags. Then Doyle hmm. asks Mags to sing one. And she says, she, you know, says, no, at first, like, okay, high on the mountain. She got a good voice. High on the mountain. Something, <laughs> something, something. But the best part of this scene is watching Dickie dance. He first starts with almost like a Hawaiian esque motion with his yeah. with his arms and then Slitheringly, yeah. Incredible stuff. He's so good. The face he's making, just just everything. <laughs> anyway, then we're we're about to get into the the danger zone section of this episode here. Loretta starts helping Cooper with some kegs, helps him lift one up under the car. Then, or into the bed of the truck. Then, hilariously, he asks her to drag another one over. It's like this; these kegs are like seventy-five percent the size of Loretta, and she's like trying to drag it through the dirt. And it's like, and he says, he like, hey, look like a monkey humping a football. Just, which honestly, in this moment, is almost like the sweetest we see Cooper be at any point in the show for, for a moment <laughs> when he's like, here, let me help you. And it just seems like a normal person for a second. But then she sees the watch on his arm and like instant, like just shaken up. Like she has this realization, like that's my dad's watch. She doesn't say anything, but Cooper can tell. He says, what's wrong, girl? You look, you look like you've seen a ghost. And she basically is like, ah, I better better get back inside and just like runs off. So then back in the house, we see Loretta in 
the you know her bedroom or the room she's staying in she like throws the hair clip on the ground and is like kind of like tearing at the dress she's wearing and like she's not really crying she's almost like hyperventilating she's like just breathing real like breathing real heavy i guess was the the end of that sentence breathing real hyperly breathing real air he's ventilating hyperly then we cut to raylan and carol driving in the car on the way to the airport presumably he again asked you know they chat a little about oh the the mountain's gonna get blown off she's like oh you have a soft spot for those people and he's like don't you and she's like no and he's like anyway whatever then he asks again you know, was it you that set off the firecracker and she admits to paying someone 40 bucks and a handful of Xanax or something. Huh. And can I, can I then interject? Sorry. What, why did she do that? You already have. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it was kind of like what Raylan said back in the episode where he first accused her of doing it. Like, Just to like, to stop the momentum of her charismatic performance. But like, she let it, it went on so long. I feel like she accomplished everything she wanted to to rally right. the troops. It, it, she should have had well, the firecrackers set off earlier. Maybe seems. the person she paid was high on the handful of Xanax she gave them, so they were slow to respond. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. It okay. wasn't a perfect plan. Yeah. But I, I guess it, you know, we did see it kind of wrap up immediately. And like Raylan said, maybe you even got some sympathy, although, yeah, I don't think. I don't think it really did her much good. Yeah. So then Carol says, and this is an important note, because I think without this line here, we assume they hooked up. But then she says, would have been fun back there, huh? And Raylan kind of smiles and says, maybe. But that obviously implies they did not hook up. All right. We are about to enter into the the final 10 to 15 minutes of this episode, which to me were just dynamite. So Loretta shows up at Coover and Dickie's door. Coover answers as she's presenting him with this blunt. She says she came across something that made her think of him. She asks if she can hang out there for a little while and Coover lets her in inside. Coover smokes the blunt offers it to Loretta who is 14 uh, and says she has school tomorrow. Coover then I guess it's not super random. It's kind of random. He impersonates Sean Penn in Fast Times at Richmond High. He goes, you ever see Fast Times? And then he, like, you know, bangs the thing on his head and says, you hear that? That's my school. I'm so wasted. As if this 14-year-old would have seen Fast Times. Uh, it's, it's, really, anyway. it's really funny to interpret Coover's behavior thinking about what he knows at what point or what his intentions are at what point. Like, Is he doing that to like transparently pretend that he's high and he's like, doesn't know it's a like, like, or he's just goofing around or is he actually like trying to get the upper hand in this situation? It's a good question. Cause I think it does actually kind of like knock him out a little bit, just very momentarily compared to maybe, you know, the average person that doesn't, smoke all the time so much maybe they would be like incapacitated for the the night or something because it's also it's also like did he offer her the blunt after he detected that it was like was that his way of sticking it to her and being like i know like you sure you don't want some of this tarnished 
thing. Yeah. yeah. He seemed to know it implied that he knew right away. Yeah. Like later when he was going on. But then he kind of starts talking about like mama likes you. And we see like the jealousy he says, Mama's gone soft. Think he describes her as a three or four different animals in the in over the course of the next few scenes. He calls her prize bunny. He calls her like, you know, the a prize pig or something or some kind of pig. And then like calls her the new baby lamb. Mama looks at you like a new baby. Calls her a bunch of different animals over over the last five minutes of over the next five minutes or so. I just think it's funny. And she she calls him a shoat, right? Or a she did. So, well, Mags did, not yeah. Loretta. Says, Mama's gone soft. Thinks you're her new prize bunny. But she get, never gave me nothing. Broke up my hand, too. Then he kind of starts to bring up Loretta's dad. Says, you never asked about your dad. She says, oh, well, you told me he's working down in Texas. He goes, oh, yeah, he's working. Kind of like ominously and weird. And then he kind of just like passes out. Loretta starts to search their place. Now, did you know what she was doing here? Like, were you assuming she was looking for the watch right away, or did you think anything else was yeah. going? Okay. Yeah. So starts looking for the watch, goes to the next room, turns on the lights, and even he's a, he doesn't have to be doing anything; he's just sleeping. And Dickie's still funny. The way he's laying there is hilarious. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> but you know, turns on the light, sees him kind of like passed out or asleep on the floor, turns it right back off, uh, looks around a bit more. Finds a watch in the dresser drawer, lights a match, reads the inscription on the back, which says, like, to Walt, da-da-da-da-da. And, you know, at this point, she is now, like, officially confirmed, like, in her mind, and she's right, that her dad is dead. She says, she says something like, oh, daddy, and, like, kind of starts to cry. Then immediately calls Raylan, asks him for help, and they kind of, like, you know, cut to him in the car and back to her. And I really like the way that they it's almost like a horror movie the way they shoot him walking into the room where you just see like his like large frame with her you know he's kind of like in the foreground and she's kind of in the background like much she's already much smaller but it looks even more so with this and then you just see like his like cast hand and it's like kind of dark and she screams like we then we cut back to Raylan and we hear her scream Raylan you know does a 180 in the car turns around and then we cut back to Coover and Dickie's. Coover's yelling at Loretta. Dickie, like, is waking up as this is happening. He's like, what's, what's going on? And Coover starts explaining, like, Loretta lays the bunt with formaldehyde. And Dickie's like, it seems, you know, I'm sure that didn't stop you from smoking it. And, you know, initially he says, like, you know, I'm failing to see the problem here. When she, yeah, his, and his all line that. reading is so Because I think the first thing he says is, like, Loretta gave me a blunt. Or something, and he's right. like, and "I he's don't like, see what's wrong with that." Right. <laughs> it's so funny. And then he says the formaldehyde thing, and he's like, "Well, I'm sure that didn't stop you from smoking it or finishing it." I think he said, "Yeah." And then as he's like, they're kind of like having a back and forth. Loretta tries to sneak out of the room, but Coover goes after and grabs her out in the, you know, living room, whatever, and says, "I." And he has I, this line is hilarious, and I love it. You think you're gonna lay me out that easy, girl, with a little wet weed? Come on, girl. <laughs> You got to do better than that. I'm a goddamn professional. Like the way he's like, has like this pride in it, which is just funny and fitting for the character. So then Dickie continues to try to like talk Coover down, try to figure out. He's also trying to figure out like, what are you upset about? Like, what did, you know, what's going on? And Coover, you know, is like telling Loretta to show him, show Dickie what's in her hand. Eventually she shows and it's the watch. And 
Dickie's like, oh, Coover, Coover, Coover. You're... And they're, they're kind of talking over each other. So I just wrote down a, a lot of what both of them said. And he says, you're. And Coover says, no, I kept it because I knew Dickie, because I'm the only one that's taking care of us here. And Dickie's like, taking care of us, keeping the damn watch. That's what's going on here. And he's like, oh, good God. Like, again, I, I think I mentioned this very early on in this season of like, Dickie's obviously not like the the brightest bulb, but clearly the brains in this duo and is much smarter than than Coover. Uh, but so then Coover goes on to say, Mama looking at her like she's this brand new baby lamb. See? But I, I seen what her angle I seen what your angle was right away to drive a wedge into this family, to tear us apart from the inside, and keep the pieces for herself, whatever that it's all I also like that like it kind of doesn't make sense what he's saying because A, he's kind of dumb and B, he's obviously like, well, he's in a rage and he's like uh, high on this weed laced with formaldehyde. And he says, but you know what? I ain't going to let that happen, girl. You want it bad enough to come after me? What do you want to know, girl? You want to hear how he went? You want to see your daddy? And I'll take you to see him right now. Come on, let's go see him. And he's saying all that while Dickie's like, Coover, Coover, you stop that shit right now. Hey, you stop that shit right now. And he's like, Trying to talk down, and then Cooper starts to take Loretta out the door, and Dickie, like, we get this moment where Dickie has actually successfully de-escalated by, like, being like, you know, what's Mama going to think about all this? And Cooper's saying she's not going to know, and he says, Mama always knows. She always knows. You know that. And, like, kind of, like, he has that moment where, like, they have that connection. He's like, there's my baby brother. And we're good. We've We've averted, you know, disaster until he says the thing about you know you know what i think it is i think you're just a wee bit jealous that mama's taking more of a shine to her than you now we still could have averted disaster because coover basically is like don't say that and it's clear that he's like escalating again and this is what i mean when you say like dickie's not the brightest bulb why would you continue to poke at him when he's yes. he just came down from like a murderous like he's essentially saying i'm gonna go throw you in the mine shaft too <laughs> and so obviously he kind of keeps teasing him and coover just totally loses it here like beyond where he was before because obviously we know from early in the episode that jealousy is a big driving part of i mean dickie's right in what he's saying but i don't think he realizes like how much of a nerve that's mm-hmm. striking. Yeah. So then like when Coover, he like loses the like throw, like kind of like tackle throws Dickie across the room, punches him in the face, then gets on top of him, choking him out. And it really looks like he kills him here. Again, like I said, first time I saw this, I thought he killed him, but obviously we'll realize pretty soon that that, that isn't the case. Uh, and there's that moment where Coover also thinks he's killed him and is trying to wake him up and clearly is, you know, has that like of mice and men moment. I mean, in a way, it, that was a genuine accident where this was, there was some malicious intent, but like, like not knowing his own strength sort of thing. And then he realizes Loretta ran out the door, so he goes after her. Then we're back in Raylan's car for a moment. He's on the phone with Tim, asking him to track a cell, obviously trying to get Loretta's location, drops Carol at a gas station. And he's like, you know, she gets out and he's like, your things. And she's like, 
oh, I'll get him after it's done. Just go, you know, go, go get her. And he gives her a little smile. Like I'm a cowboy. I feel like that's what he was thinking when he smiled at her or whatever. Anyway, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that I'm a cowboy. Yeah. When I was watching. You, I think you are a cowboy, Bobby. I, I don't want to quote Kid Rock, but that's what's popping into my head now. Nothing wrong with Kid, Kid Rock, Rock or Isn't bon the, Jovi. Um, who's the I'm a cowboy, baby? On, oh, that might be Kid Rock. I was I'm thinking I'm a sure cowboy so. on a steel horse I ride. Oh, yeah, that's not what I was thinking. Wanted, dead or alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not You're me. welcome. <laughs> That ain't me. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. Where was I? Oh, so he drops Carol at the gas station, drives off. Then we see Loretta running down the road. We see the headlights pop up, the truck come up. Obviously, this is Coover. And I think we kind of know that in the moment, too. It's a, it's a very menacing, like, approach. It's not like, oh, maybe this person is going to help her. Then we see... Dickie getting woken up by having like old bong water poured on his face, yeah. which is just disgusting. Oh. Oh, and God. Raylan asking where Loretta is. And Dickie says he doesn't know. And he, Raylan just immediately, Raylan is, there's no, notably, this is not like Raylan playing it cool and, you know, outsmarting a person or, you know, winning a duel without using, he is straight to, I'm torturing you. Tell me what, you know, tell me what's going on. Or I'm going to kill you. Essentially. I'll finish what was started here. Dickie, you know, saying he tried to stop Coover and Raylan and ask Raylan to let Dickie go after him. And he's like, please, please let me just let me go after him. Let me go after him. I can take care of this. And I think it's notable and kind of foreshadowing in a way, right? The way that Raylan says, no, I'm going to take care of this now. It's kind of like, okay. So then Dickie, who is obviously under extreme duress, tells Raylan, you know, Coover said something about taking her to see her daddy, says it's up at the Garner mine shaft. And then as Raylan leaves, he's like, don't you hurt my brother, Raylan. I just like the way he delivers that line. He's upset. He's got a big mustache. So then <laughs> Raylan arrives at the mine shaft. I really like. I know, Zach, you were saying like it's a ve- it is a very dark scene and maybe almost like a little hard to see. But, but I really like the way that this scene is kind of lit, especially when they're outside the mine, like with the, you know, there's kind of some like fog and there's mm. like, the, it's good. You know, the headlight, like the headlights yeah. are kind of lighting the, the woods. ghostly. Right. And I, I also, the way that Raylan's yelling Coover, it's like. I don't think guttural is the right word, but it's like very like, it's like a deep, it, it almost reminds me of what we're talking about, how his, his accent is thicker when he's in Harlan. And it feels like here, his accent is kind of thick. He's like, Coover. I don't, I don't know. I, I can't do it. Coover. Kind of like that. Coover. Coover. That's yeah. That's it. Don't change the thing. Okay. So then he finds Loretta lying on the ground. He's, as he checks on her, he kind of gets like tackled by Coover. He drops his gun. They're wrestling a bit, slamming into some trees. He gets a, he elbows Coover in the face at some point, which I think he does the same thing to him when they're fighting in the, maybe he punches him. But anyway, he, he elbows him in the face here. They slam into some trees. There's a point where you actually see Raylan's trying to grab his second gun 
that's like in his back belt uh, as they're fighting there. Then he gets kind of thrown into the top of the mine shaft and they're fighting in there. And we see like how kind of precarious this is and how high up they are. Like when he like puts his hand back and like a board falls down and we see that it drops for a long time. And, you know, Hoover's kind of holding him over the thing and punching him and Hoover's again. We And I think that la- was that the last episode where they fought. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. In the, in the spoil that kind of, gave us a little bit of like an understanding of like Raylan's probably not just winning like a a straight up like fist fight against this guy. He's much, and especially now he's on top of him. So it's kind of like, Oh damn, this ain't looking great. But then, you know, Loretta yells, you know, stop it. And she's got, she's there pointing a gun at Coover and Coover says, you know, you're dead girl. And then Raylan says, Coover and Coover like looks and he shoots him in the neck. And kind of moves out of the way, and then Coover plummets into the the mine shaft below. Next thing we see is like Loretta sobbing outside as Raylan goes up and kind of like gives her a hug and consoles her. And whew, the, like that whole sequence of events is just a great ten minutes of intensity and some drama. And I really like the shot of that, like that kind of like you know, uh, whatever the technical term would be like, but like the camera kind of pulling away as they're standing outside the mine shaft by the truck. I think that's a nice shot at the end of all this. Then we cut to Doyle waking up Mags in the middle of the night. She asks, what is it? As she turns on the light and what a great face acting in this episode, because Doyle doesn't say anything when she says, what is it? But he gives that, it gives her that look that's very much like something terrible happened. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to the next morning or presumably like a couple hours later or something, you know, whatever it was. They're kind of at the crime scene outside the mine shaft and Raylan, Art, and the trooper Tom Bergen are talking. Tom says they'll have Coover's body up in a couple minutes. And they found another body down there that's pretty badly decomposed. Looks like it's been down there a while. Raylan says that that's McCready, you know, Loretta's dad. And then Doyle and Mags pull up in the, you know, the Bennett sheriff's truck. Raylan removes his hat, says he'll go, you know, or Raylan says he'll go handle it. And then he walks up and as they're approaching, kind of like, you know, does the thing, takes the hat off. She asks if that's her boy up there. Raylan says it is. And then she kind of very quickly pivots to asking about Loretta. And he says she's gone. Mags asked to see her essentially, and he's like, can't. And she like begs, you know, tearfully begs to speak to Loretta, saying she never even got to say goodbye. Raylan pretty unemotionally is just like, no, there's no way. And I mean, Margaret Martindale might have won the Emmy just for her face in the in this like this like 10 second moment of, of her face where it goes from crying and distraught and just like watching that change in her face is truly incredible. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> the way she pulls that off without, and then, you know, she just kind of like, we see that sadness fade slowly and it just turns to this like anger or rage. And then she just similar to actually the first episode, the, the scene where she kills Walt, 
yeah. where she says, get the girl, you know, kind of just mm-hmm. goes from like really sweet to like, okay, like down to business. And she just does the same thing here going from apparently pretending to be really upset, uh, you know, and to this, this rage and then just let's go. So I, I was curious about that. Is that so she, it was just a performance to gain Raylan's sympathy so she could get to Loretta. We, Cheyenne and I discussed this, like why did she want to get to Loretta? Was it so she could confirm how much Loretta knew about her dad's death or like, what was her agenda in that scene? I thought that it was that she had a real connection to her. I thought that she, at least a, a major part of it, you know, cause we've yeah. seen that we've seen that throughout the episode. So she's genuinely affected by the loss. Um, but maybe I'm, yeah, maybe I'm missing something there that it's not just that. Cause she but does I seem think, like she's, actually I think that's a reasonable it. conclusion. You know, but I do think like what you're saying, that could be part of it too. You know, could be, I oh shit, she might know. The the abruptness with which she turns off the tears, as you pointed out, Bobby, like mm-hmm. I guess that could just be her ability to like repress her emotion and turn to business. But I, it, at first it, it seemed like it was the way it was in episode one of this season, just kind of like an, a performance that once the, once there was no longer any reason to keep performing because she saw that it wasn't working. She just turned it off and was like, we need to turn to other things. But yeah, I I don't know. I mean, that's, yeah, that is how I saw it. But like her, when she says, you know, she asked to say goodbye to her, that felt like she was, she processed the loss, though not literal of, her of Loretta so much worse just because she can't see her one last time and her actual flesh and blood is at the bottom of the mine shaft. And yeah, she's sad, but she's not, she doesn't care that much. Right. You know, so I felt like it put a bow on, on how she felt about these, about these two characters and their, their relationship as a result of it. And, yeah, Coover, I had said, what, last week, I think, I feel like he was in a state of arrested development as, like, a 13-year-old, and he, tre- he really te- treats Loretta like like a peer. Um, right. Yeah. And Loretta's, what, 14? You know, and he's just, like, he's just, he can't stand that mom clearly has you as as her, what, pet rabbit or, or essentially some type of favorite. And that's how I her took show it. show pig, it, her baby lamb, her prize yeah. bunny. <laughs> or is he's just a dirty shoat. Uh huh. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Again, I, I actually, both times I watched this episode, a little choked up in in the Coover dying scene. The first one being, you know, unrelated to Brad William Henke having died because I didn't know that at the time that I was watching it. And the second mm-hmm. time, I think that like played into it a little. But that first time, I was just and. Not just him dying, like the character dying, but also like Loretta's reaction to everything's happening. I just think it's a very well done emotional episode. Yeah. Obviously, also a lot of there's like, you know, tense action type stuff happening too. I just think, as O just kind of said, 
somewhat jokingly, but seriously too, like it, this episode really does have kind of a bit of everything. There's, you know, there's some funny parts. There's some, you know, like plotting stuff with all the black pike and negotiations. And then there's the stakes with Loretta and like, and it's finding out and they're like tying stuff into, you know, the very first episode of the season and Raylan's involvement and this, this ongoing, you know, Bennett Givens feud that, you know, we learned last episode goes back to, you know, a hundred years essentially, or 90 years or whatever, you know, back to, no, I guess you know, oh, prohibition yeah. era yeah. goes back, you know, long, long time. time. 1960s. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, you know, one little note that I, and this might be just me be, might just me be me seeing this when it's not really there. What are you uh, trying to say? In the mine shaft, when no. you know, when was it, when Coover is has Raylan and might be throwing him down the mine shaft. Obviously, this is a full survival instinct. But I also felt like when Loretta runs in and she has the gun, the just the way, and this this stood out to me twice, or I just interpreted it the same way both times I watched it. The way Raylan says Coover to draw his attention to then shoot him and kill him himself. Mm-hmm. I felt like he was borderline protecting Loretta or more than protecting her, but preventing her from having to have a dead body on her hands, like a, a kill right, on her conscience at the age of 14. She's been through so much. And I've m- mentioned before how like incredibly mature she seems like they're just right. the way she speaks, including at the party when she's like, you don't need to, you know, you don't need to cover for me. That's my dad's job more or less. Right. And, but this is, and I mean, it's just like a total, yeah, just a total loss of innocence here. Right. And this, yeah. And this is like way beyond any of that other stuff. Like, okay, she's right. dealing drugs to people and so on and so forth. But this is, this is something entirely different. Maybe that really wasn't there, but I, I sort of felt that both times I watched yeah, it. I mean, that makes sense. And then, I mean, Art kinds of kind of draws attention to this in that that next scene where Raylan says something like, "Oh, they got her at you know UK hospital or whatever," and you know she's going to be okay. And Art says something like, "Do you think she's ever really going to be okay after this?" And it's kind of like, "Oh, probably not," you know, because right. like it in the same. I mean, there was a possibility that. I don't know exactly what the, I mean, this is essentially happening in real time. So we're talking about in 15, 20 minutes, I don't know, whatever, 10 to 20 minutes. She has confirmed her dad's death and may have killed her, you know, someone who is partially responsible or in, you know, in general involved with her dad's death, which is, I think it's over the course of a little bit more time than that, but yeah, within, within a day, whatever. Yeah. 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 Within because, a few yeah. hours. When does she say it? She says, oh, daddy, when she's sees the inscription on the watch, though, right? Right. Okay. But so, yeah, I just don't know how much time is really passing between, like, Coover driving up there and Raylan driving to the house. Like, but yeah, yeah essentially yeah. it's happening. It's not. Very rapidly. Yeah. She doesn't have much time for processing and, like. No. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, she's and also, that, like, she's being kidnapped and, like, she's. Right. You know, with the threat of being killed herself, you know, there's 
there's like this immense yeah. sadness and grief and then fear and like you know oh maybe i'm getting away when she's running away and then he catches her and then oh yeah you know they're up at the mine shaft and oh raylan's here to save me well i don't know it seemed like she was unconscious at that point but whatever there's there's a lot going on Mm-hmm. well yeah i think this is in a lot of ways regarded as as one of the best episodes of the show and i think it's I think it speaks for itself. It's it's a little obvious why. Zach, I'm curious if you have any insight. I was almost a little surprised that Cheyenne rated this an 8.5 because she's rated other episodes high, and I was wondering if that's because it was so stressful. Mm. Like, do you think it would be a little higher almost if she was less stressed? I don't. Yeah, or do that's you think a, that's a good question? You you'll have to ask her. I know. You I will a, not. You have a very robust relationship with her via text which i often um resent sort of the way coover resents mag's relationship with loretta you're loretta ma cheyenne is mags and i'm coover <laughs> you're coover <laughs> um yeah maybe i mean you ever it, refer to me as her baby lamb <laughs> bobby's like your new baby lamb <laughs> <laughs> He's your prize so bunny. Tomorrow. Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Uh, we'll have to ask her. But yeah, it, it 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 was one of the more stressful, upsetting episodes, and that might have lowered her rating a little bit. And, I and think we've it, got it, four episodes left in the season. More time for even more tragedy and drama, potentially. Anything could happen, and it will. And in the next episode, I'm going to read you the synopsis. Here's a little of what might happen. Season 2, Episode 10, Debts and Accounts. As Winona begins divorce proceedings, Raylan begins to contemplate his future as a marshal. Meanwhile, yeah, and then he retires and the show ends. Or or it'd be funny if he just, like, had another job and the show was just about him, like... Working as a chef or something. Doing like mall security or something. Yeah. Yeah. Just a total career change. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Dickie Bennett takes exception to his family's new business arrangement with Boyd Crowder. And that's it. That's the next episode. Debts and accounts. Any. Oh, yeah. I think we've covered this episode pretty thoroughly, but any other thoughts or feelings? Nope. No Winona in this episode, except by the mention in the voicemail. Yeah. Winona. Yeah. See what it did there? The answer is in the name. Winona. Anyway. We'll obviously see Winona next episode based on that synopsis that I just shared. Wonder what she was doing. Couldn't get a hold of her. I don't know. She's she's in cahoots with Black Pike. I think what she's Zach riding that a... champion horse. <laughs> Gary? <laughs> I'm Gary. Good for you, Gary. What if Zach became like a 
unjustified world conspiracy theorist. Oh, yeah, please. I yes, that would be. Let it be. That would be wonderful. I wish I had the mental capacity to do something like that. You might. Well, boys, I think it's time for us to wrap this one up. And I want to take this moment to thank you both for being in my wedding. I will not oh, thank the others. They are not part of this podcast. And the other a lackluster job. Oh, the others in the wedding. <laughs> Who did you think I meant? I actually thought you meant like the listeners. <laughs> oh, I'll thank the listeners. Hey, <laughs> listeners, thank you for listening. You weren't in my wedding, but uh, you could still send me gifts. We love you. <laughs> can, I, can I send a message to the listeners? You, you may, and I may edit it out. Okay. I deem it. I've been getting a lot of, time. I've been getting a lot of criticism from the listeners, like, like directed at me. And I just want Zach. I just want to say that. I hear it and it it has a, a minor impact on me and I so I think about it a little bit and I and I'm just happy that you're participating in our show and I and I wish you I wish you well. Okay. That was like a nice genuine message delivered uh, in a way where I was waiting for a hard yeah. zag. I thought yeah. it was going to be like a Lucille Bluth I don't understand the question, but I choose not to respond to it. <laughs> How much could a banana cost? Ten dollars? <laughs> All right. Well, Zach, I I I actually agree, because you know, with what you're saying, because I read everything that people I'm the one that's posting in the subreddit as I think everyone's aware. I know obviously you two are aware, but I think the people that respond, but I enjoy all the conversations I have with people on there, even oh, if yeah. they are, you know, a, a complaint or two. Because obviously, we're a gonna this. This is entirely opinion based, so we're gonna disagree on some things, and also some, you know, might listen to an episode of the podcast and be like, "That episode sucked." Nobody's really said that. You might think that. I appreciate if you've thought that and haven't said it, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I really. By and large, the feedback we've gotten online has been incredibly positive, and it's been really cool to to read. And we read, or I read all of it, and I share it with with these guys. They don't know how to read, so I have to read it to them. But they appreciate <laughs> know, it. No, 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 I do. I do know how to read. I'll believe it when I see it. Okay. But anyway, uh, yeah. But even the any kind of critical feedback, it's also good because at the end of the day. If people are listening to this, I want them to enjoy it. So if there's stuff that people aren't liking, that's good to know, too, because we can do mm. less of that. Yep. Or more of it if we, you know, wanted to really get people to stop listening. <laughs> but, mm. yes, thank you to the listeners. Thank And you know what? Let's take a moment to say thank you to Timothy Oliphant. Why not? Thank you, Timothy R Oliphant. Rugged good looks. Endless What's charm. What's not to like? Got it all. You know, I looked up at the recording bar, and it said we had recorded... We were at like an hour and 20 minutes. I was like, oh, we're doing pretty good. We're close to an hour and 40 now. I don't know what happened. 
Well, I blacked out. What have we been talking about for the last 15 minutes? My God. Anyway. A time warp. We'll see what happens, though, once I edit this. It'll probably be at least a bit shorter than that. I think we could come in under an hour and a half. Find out this time on Next One's Coming Faster how long this episode is. But we'll see you next time on Next One's... This... Wait, I have to say one thing. I don't often give myself credit. <laughs> but I'm going to... But I'm going to take a moment to do so right here. I've been editing the episodes. Bobby's about to talk about how he works hard editing them. I want the listeners to know that I'm the one editing them. I can't that I can edit this any longer. Well, what program do you use for that, Zach? I use the computer. <laughs> I use I use the computer. I go to AOL and I edit it there. Um, use the internet on the computer. But no, I was just going to say, I was about to sign off. I was about to sign off. And I have to say, to my own credit, I think we got a pretty good sign off here. Because we say the word next twice. And I think the people really react to that. Yeah. So get ready to react. Because we'll see you next time on Next One's Coming Faster. Thanks for listening to Next One's Coming Faster. Hosted by me, Bobby, and my co-hosts, Zach and Ogis. Next One's Coming Faster is available wherever you find your podcasts.